Before I begin, just a, a couple of additional things that uh, to remind you of. If, uh, and John already did this about the baptism class. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have never been baptized by immersion, I encourage you to be a part of the class tonight. It does not mean you must get baptized. It is an instructional class. But if you are getting baptized, you need to be a part of the class or let me know so we can get together some other time. And that's tonight at 5 o'clock. One other thing. Uh, last week I challenged you to get into the Word of God and read it on a consistent basis this year coming up. And uh, today, I just want to give you the first time that uh, I'm announcing this publicly, but the first Sunday in March, I'm starting a new Sunday school class. My class that I've been teaching for a couple of years now is coming to an end, and I'm going to be teaching a class on personal Bible study. Simply this, the bottom line basics of how to study the Bible for yourself. Uh, the only two things that you will absolutely have to have for the class, uh, there is homework in this class, so it is not just, if you don't do any homework, it's, you're not going to get it. It's just going to go in one ear and out the other, and you might say it was fun, but that's about all it will do. But there will be a little bit of homework. It's nothing extensive, but it is homework, and you'll need a straight King James Version Bible and a Strong's Concordance. Now, you can use your other Bible, and you'll have lots of other things I'm going to encourage you to use. But uh, for the class purposes, uh, you do need those two things, and I can get you the Strong's Concordance uh, if you don't have one. Uh, same with the Bible, but um, we'll put the sign-up sheet out here starting next week. just want to remind you that we're doing that, and if you've never taken a class like that, I'd encourage you to do it because uh, it will help you as you're reading in the Bible and you come to something, you go, I don't know what that means. I don't, and if you don't have an idea of how to find out for yourself, uh, you'll just read over it and let it go, but uh, this will challenge you to a higher step. And there is a class that follows that called Greek Bible Study Tools. It, don't be scared by it because even somebody is, um, well, not bright as me can teach it. So, you know, it's not too tough. Uh, but it will just take you one step further and you don't have to memorize and you won't learn Greek you will learn how to use Greek Bible study tools, which is a huge difference between that and learning Greek. So I just want to encourage you to pray about that, consider that uh, for the year ahead. <clears throat> this morning, as you can see on the screen behind you, we are going to talk about problems in perspective. I have to tell you that most likely in this year ahead, you will have something that overwhelms you. I wish I could stand up here like some pastors and say, if you have enough faith, nothing bad will happen. You won't get sick. You won't have marriage problems. Your job will be secure. Uh, your health will be great and all those things. I'm not going to do that because that's not biblical. I know those things are only true in the millennium and in heaven. I know that while we're here... It's different than that. Does God want to bless and give us a prosperous new year? In most cases, that'll probably be true. The majority of the time. But there will be problems. And if we are not realistic, and if we do not face the world for what it really is, a sin-cursed place, we have sin-cursed bodies, we have a soul and a spirit that have been messed up by sin. Satan is the God of this world. 
He's the prince of the power of the air. He's walking around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. That's reality. In the midst of that reality, we don't live in despair. So just because there will be problems, and this sermon is fleshing all of this out, just because there are problems do not, does not mean that you cannot live above the circumstances, that you cannot face them head on and be victorious instead of being a victim. You can live for the Lord regardless. Chris was just up here telling us about one lady who's suffering for her faith. Most of us probably won't do that in the year, won't have to go through that in the year ahead. But if we had to, we could suffer and suffer in victory. It's just the way it is. And so this morning, while you go, I wish you'd say something nice and bright and shiny, I will because that is Jesus Christ himself. Our life is in Christ. It's not in our circumstances. And so as we look at the year ahead, I have some thoughts for you. But I, will, I do know that problems can easily overwhelm us. We probably will have some of those. But the comfort, the victory is in seeing life from God's perspective. Here and here. That's going to make all the difference. You know it. The choices you make, the attitudes you have, are going to change the way you see what's around you. So, there will be personal problems. Be patient. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll be patient, but let's make it quick. You know, isn't that the way we are? I'm that way, and most of us are. We just don't tolerate things that don't go our way very well. The psalmist, and I appreciate the psalms more as I get older, uh, knows exactly what we're talking about. If somebody else holds us up, boy, they are just a bonehead. They've got their life out of control, and why don't they do it right? You know, it doesn't matter if you're driving on the highway or you're in the store behind the line. And uh, I just did some research on this. The line that moves the slowest, there's some kind of perspective, and they actually have done some research on this, that the line you go in will move the slowest. Something about if you went to another line, that line would move faster. I don't know all that. I couldn't figure it out. But nonetheless, it's the way life is. And we need to face it and be patient. The psalmist says it this way, starting in Psalm 102, verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to thee. Do not hide thy face from me in the day of my distress. Incline thine ear to me. In the day when I call, answer me. What's it say? Quickly. <laughs> we even do that with God. I want the shortest line. I want the fastest lane. I want the, you put in there whatever you want. I want to get cured fast. I want my, my problem over fast. That's what we want. And the psalmist isn't saying, oh, you're uh, some horrible person because of that. But we always want immediate attention. We want relief right away. And God does not always answer according to our impatience. You ever notice that? Because he's teaching us. And he's teaching us that he is in control because that's ultimately the end of this sermon, that God is in control. You may not appreciate it. You may not see it. You may not any of those things and a whole lot more. But that is the truth. And so there are personal problems. 
<clears throat> for example, he goes on to say, then uh, the psalmist is speaking for himself, and uh, you may identify with these next several things. It says, uh, for my days have been consumed in smoke, my bones have been scorched like a hearth, my heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. I should be enjoying life. I should be happy. I should, I should, I should, I should. I'll put my hand up. Don't you put your hand up, but I, I like that. Okay? This should be true of me. This should be true of me. They all should. My work should be lighter and my fun should be higher and we name it. You know, that, that's just the way it is. But everything seems like it goes up in smoke. Did you ever notice I've been doing a few remodeling jobs for the last, what is it, two and a half months now? Yeah, two and a half months. I always have told people ever since way back when I worked construction, remodeling takes three times longer than doing something from scratch, you know, brand new. Well, guess what? It does. And it hasn't changed over the years. I wish those jobs would have been a whole lot faster. But they're not. It's just the way it is. But I have to understand that I'm not going to allow that to control my life. I'm not going to let it look, look like it went up in smoke and scorched. And let's face it, uh, you cut down the grass, it takes about a day in the sunshine till it all withers up and dries. You know, that's the way it is. And we can feel that way. We can land up exhausted. And I have to tell you, if you want to wear yourself out, be concerned and worry and be impatient about those things that you have no control over whatsoever. You just don't. And if you worry about them, it will wear you out. Now, it's hard, of course. It's trouble. It's not something you enjoy. But worry about it. Be impatient about it. And then you will really make it miserable. Because now, not only will it be hard to deal with, but now you become miserable. That's just the way it is. Do not allow your joy to be stolen by anyone or anything in the year ahead. Keep your eyes in the right direction. I don't know. You may have lost your job or you may lose your job in the year ahead. Doesn't sound like fun to me, but it could happen. Is, that, is your joy going to be based on that? Oh, it'll be inconvenient without a doubt. It might be really hard. But can you have joy in the midst of that? The answer, according to the word of God, according to God himself, is yeah, you can. He says, uh, goes on the end of verse um, <clears throat> 4 to say, Indeed, I forgot to eat my bread. We can get so caught up in those things that happen around us that we just get our eating habits out of whack. He says, I get to the point, I, I'm so uptight, so worried, so concerned that... I quit eating. Some people quit eating. Other people eat like crazy. Uh, but that's one of the things that happens when these things happen. Verse 5 goes on to say, Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. We can, in the midst of problems, have a, to the point where we don't necessarily have physical pain from somebody hitting us or broken bones, but it's that bad mentally and emotionally that we get physical pain from it. We're talking here, folks, if you haven't figured this out yet, about someone who's depressed. And in psychology, it would be 
clinically depressed. What's that mean? Simply depression with physical symptoms. And that can happen. Lots of people suffer that on a regular basis for all kinds of reasons. It can be family and marriage and kids, or it can be jobs and neighbors and you, you name it. it. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be health. It could be somebody else that's just really a thorn in your side. You can have all of those things, and uh, they're not fun to deal with. But the end result is going to be that we can keep our focus in the right direction. Verse 6, this one here took me for a ride for a while, but it says, I resemble a pelican in the wilderness. I have become like an owl of the waste places. And I'm like, what in the world is that talking about? So I started looking some things up. This is where personal Bible study comes in. Start looking some things up. Where do you find pelicans? At the water. Where do you find owls normally? In trees and things like that or in buildings. Well, here's what it's saying. A pelican is out of place in a desert. In a place where there is no water. Pelicans don't live there. And in a wilderness, there are no trees for the owls to nest in and the roost on. And that's what you can feel like. In the economy we've had lately, there are a lot of people feel that way. You may go home today, open the front door of your house, and feel exactly that way, even though everybody that's supposed to be living there is living there. You feel out of place. The psalmist said, that's exactly how I feel. I feel like there's a problem. I'm out of place. I, it, it's out of order. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Pelicans don't belong in the desert. Owls don't live in the desert. Not the kind of owl that's talked about here. There are owls that live in the desert. But not this kind of owl. It's a little bit like we would say, I feel like a fish on dry land. Or a fish out of water. That's the way we would say it today. The psalmist used a different analogy. Verse 7 goes on, I lie awake, I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. That feeling that everybody has deserted me. I hate to say this, but a long time ago, we didn't have TV back then, but there was a, a, a program on TV that was called uh, Hee Haw. Gloom, despair, and misery on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Uh, is one of the songs that went with that. I got to tell you, that's how this person feels. It's like, <laughs> by the way, I don't believe in luck, but I'm just telling you that's what the song said. But you know what? We feel that way. Everybody's deserted me. I am the lone bird on top of the house roof peak singing. Everything else is gloom, despair, and misery. You can feel that way. And i got to tell you, you can come in the doors of Garden Chapel and feel that way. There are people that do that. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. Do you want any more of those goofy things? No, you're not getting any more. But the point is this. You can, in the midst of whatever is going on, feel exactly that way. And that's the way it is. I feel like I'm the only person. Nobody else understands me. I've seen this, one of those uh, mockingbirds or catbirds. I don't know which ones they are, but every now and then we have them. And they'll be sitting on the very highest 
uh, house, and that's our neighbor's house, on the very top of the chimney. And you can hear the thing, and it drowns out everything else. They're just really loud. It's like, here am I, you know. Nobody else, nobody else even matters. But that can happen to all of us, and it could happen to you in the year ahead. Verse 8, my enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. I'll tell you what, that is not a fun place to be. Things we've talked about so far almost can be mild compared to people going around just telling everybody what a horrible, rotten, no good, lousy person you are. And it happens, and it's not fun. It's only happened to me a few times, but it is not fun. I don't like it, and you wouldn't like it either. And you don't like it. But it can happen. And you may have absolutely no control whatsoever over it. You usually don't. And it may be totally unfounded. But it happens. What do you do? We keep our focus. Verse 9, for I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. These are expressions of mourning. Where does mourning come from? From loss. From things that didn't turn out the way I was hoping they would turn out. It happens on a regular basis. In verse 10, and this is where it comes down. And we have to be real careful about what happens next. Because of thine, referring to God, indignation, and thy, again referring to God, wrath, for thou hast lifted me up and cast me away. It's not like the psalmist is saying, okay, God, all these bad things have happened. Guess what? It's not my fault. It's not other people. I'm blaming you. You say, wow, what a, what a horrible person that is. I challenge you, keep that in mind if you were thinking that, because that's what we do. When things get really bad and we seem to have no control whatsoever, what happens is God now is the bad guy. I've done enough counseling in my life to know that's exactly what happens. This is not just in a book for me. I experience this as a pastor in counseling people on a regular basis. Because people will tell me, I believe what the Bible says. I believe what you're preaching. I believe the truth of the word of God. I believe all this. And then they don't get their way. Something of a reversal of some sort <clears throat> comes their way. And after a while, and it's like flipping a switch. They go from, and all of a sudden it's like, this is all God's fault. Be careful. The psalmist knew that that's true. It does happen. Because we do blame God. And yes, there is a place where it looks that way. It looks like God has abandoned us. But this is not only talking about abandonment. Notice it says, thou lifted me up and cast me away. That's not a little shove. That's not just ignoring, lifting up. If you pick something up and give it a chuck, that's what this is talking about. That's, it's like, God, you have purposely gone out of your way to make sure that um, <clears throat> my life is a, a disaster. Verse 11 says, My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass. I'm depressed. I've lost my will to go on. I've lost my will to live. 
you can get that low. It's easily possible. It's a horrible place to be. But it's the truth. It easily can happen to anyone and any, uh, any or all of us. It can easily happen. But look at verse 12, because now we, go, we, we have that light of hope that I've been telling you about. But thou, O Lord, dost abide forever, and thy name to all generations. This is a huge and sudden contrast to what has been written in the first 11 verses. God does allow these things to happen, but life is not over. So if you want to say God did it, the answer is no. We usually put ourselves in those situations where other people do it to us. But God does allow it. But he has never promised to bail us out every time something bad happens. He has not done that. He said, but contrast this. Whatever you're going through is short term. I know it doesn't feel that way. It never feels that way. It can only be a couple of days, or if you're in the checkout counter line, it can be a few moments, (laughs) and you think it's forever. That's just the way it is. But in him, he is forever, and our life is in him. His name is to all generations. He's above and beyond it. And we need to get on his wavelength to be able to do this. Now, if you think that our problems are bad, he takes us to a different situation. He takes us to a place where his heart is. And in the second part of this psalm, he deals with a problem spot of the world. It's been that way since before Jesus' time, long before Jesus' time. Jerusalem has been a hotbed of contention. And today hasn't even changed. In fact, is it may be hotter now than it has been in most of history. Because Jerusalem is the place where God focuses. And as this psalm is going to tell us, it is a place where he has chosen to have his very presence, his glory to be. And yet, it's still a place where it is constant, continual, ongoing conflict. Look at verse 13. Thou will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to be gracious to her, for the appointed time has come. Notice, the psalmist, even back then, is saying, "Uh, God, it's time to bail out Jerusalem. Isn't that the place where you have chosen to make your name known to the world? And yet, there's conflict there. It's time to do that, Lord. It's the problem spot of the world. God, why haven't you solved this yet? See, if we think our problems are bad, we need to go back and look at Jerusalem. I believe that's the way this is written. Because Jerusalem's been in existence a whole lot longer than we have. And yet, God has, in his sovereignty, chosen not to solve all those problems. They eventually will be. We'll see that in Psalm 122, but we'll do that very quickly from now. Surely, verse 14, thy servants find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth, thy glory. God had a sense of allegiance, a decree of allegiance to Jerusalem. But those who trust the Lord have an allegiance. A sense of allegiance, at least, until uh, toward uh, Jerusalem. But yet, it seems to be that 
Jerusalem's in the news, and it always has been. And every now and then we would see God step in, and Jerusalem would be the bright spot of all the world. But most of the time it was the trouble spot, and that continues on. It goes on to verse 16 to say, For the Lord has built up Zion. He has appeared in his glory. It's the place that he chose to establish himself. His kingdom on the throne of David from the past. His place of dwelling among the Jewish people in the temple. His very glory was exhibited there. And yet, it's a trouble spot of the world. And he will indeed establish his reign. But that has not happened yet. It will not happen until the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne of David from Jerusalem. Verse 17, he has regarded the prayer of the destitute. He has not despised their prayer. God wants us to open our minds, to widen our vision, to get away from the narrow thinking that we have that, well, if God didn't do it exactly my way at my time, maybe there's a problem. God doesn't think that way. Look at Jerusalem if you have a problem with your own life. It gives us a much bigger picture, a much more universal picture on this world. Has God focused his attention on Jerusalem? Yes. Has he allowed all these things to happen? The answer is also yes. Will he ultimately bring justice and righteousness and peace and prosperity and all the other things that he has promised to Jerusalem? The answer is also yes. All of those things are true. But it cannot be in our impatient uh, worldview. Verse 18. This will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. The writer wants it to happen now, but he also recognizes that what he is writing is not simply to those who live when he lived, but to those who will live in the future. And that's even future for us, because today Jerusalem is still a hotbed of violence and fighting and all those types of things. Because when we see Jerusalem, you can either think of it as the time of Jesus and Herod's temple like we see here. That's a model of it. Or we can see it as it is today where the temple should be standing is the Dome of the Rock, the third most holy place of uh, Islam. Or we might think, if you're especially Jewish, you might think of the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, the closest the Jewish people can get to the place that God has designated that they are to offer sacrifices. Or you might think of the miracle that happened in 1947 when in one day a nation that no longer existed, this has never happened to any other nation, became a nation again. Again, it could be the archaeology, and that's a, a picture of the Western Wailing Wall up close. But looking at those ancient things and saying, Lord, when are you going to return? When is your glory going to again be seen? Or, as usually we think of Israel, and this is the way the world thinks of Israel, they're simply a thorn in the side of the whole world. If we got rid of Israel, and especially Jerusalem, peace would come in the world. I'm telling you, you just keep your eyes on the news. That's what every Muslim country believes. That if Israel was just wiped out, the world would live at peace. 
it's not true, of course, and we get sucked into that and, uh, because we tend to side with them. But uh, violence and going on forever and ever. But this is what we see. We don't see the final that God has in store. What is the final? He says the desert will bloom. And King James says like a rose. It's actually a crocus. A crocus is something that uh, just pops up in one day. Roses don't do that. But it's a desert crocus that you don't see it one day, and the next day after a rain it just pops up and there's the bloom. That's what's going to happen. Israel likes to say, and Faye and I were there 23 years ago, they like to point out on their tours, we've made the desert bloom like a rose. Boy, do they spend a lot to do that. But when Christ comes back, it's going to happen because the whole weather patterns are going to be changed. It's going to be God doing it, not people irrigating and putting all kinds of techniques down. Or do we see ultimately the new Jerusalem? The Jerusalem that God says this is ultimately what's going to happen. In the meantime, it will again be that place of prosperity like it had been in the past. We need to look ahead. And I want to turn your attention just for a moment or two to Psalm 122 because it kind of fleshes out what God is saying and kind of brings a, a, a bigger perspective. It's uh, nine verses. I'm just going to read them and make a comment or two and then move on and finish uh, Psalm 102. <clears throat> But it says in Psalm 122, and this is Psalm that David wrote. He said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Remember, that is going to be in Jerusalem. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compacted together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, an ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For their thrones were set for judgment, and the thrones of the house of David. I've already mentioned these things, but I'm mentioning them one more time as we go through this. Jerusalem is ultimately going to be the place that is the focus of worship. Not Jerusalem being worshipped, but the one who resides there. It's also ultimately going to be the place of justice, because Jesus Christ is going to rule for a thousand years from the throne of David. And it's going to be like no other time on earth. And then it gives us the last three verses. Verse 6 says this. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You may have heard the little slogan, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And until the Prince of Peace is on the throne in Jerusalem, there will be no peace. We're praying. Just like the psalmist. Prosperity. I want the problems to go away because when Christ is ruling and reigning, rebels will not be rebelling. They know better. They're going to hold back. When all the bad things go on, they know they're going to be held accountable. So they back off. Yeah, the justice system should be a deterrent. It will be in the thousand years without a doubt because we know at the very end, he just lets Satan loose for a while and they rebel instantly. But we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper that love you. Notice what it says. Lots of people like to point to this verse. It says, those that pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Those that love Jerusalem, it says we prosper. Why? I believe this. 
because we get a right perspective. We see a much bigger picture than is possible when we get stuck in our own little world. And the psalmist knew that. He said, bad things may come. I'm going to keep my focus on the Lord. Bad things may come. Look at Jerusalem. It's got a long history, a lot of bad things. But we got to look at it because there's going to be a time when Jerusalem will live at peace, starting in verse 7. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Ultimately, God says, I am the one that brings everything back to its proper place. That's true of Jerusalem. It's true of us. But in the meantime, we are the ones that are impatient. We are the ones that do not see the world and our life from the proper perspective, God's perspective. He has a bigger perspective, a better perspective. Will he ultimately bring world peace? The answer is that is the only way we're going to have world peace. And it's going to come from Jerusalem and go out from there. That's world peace. And it's the only time we'll have world peace. It's not going to happen, and I don't care who's in power or what governments are working on what treaty or whatever. That's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. But if that's true and God is going to bring world peace, he can give us inner peace even now in the midst of the problems. The absence of problems, that's future. Peace in the midst of problems, that is to be the year ahead. So you may have problems, but you can have peace. You can have a right perspective of it. Let's finish this psalm in the last couple of minutes because we have to have our problems in the perspective. God is in control. Verse 23, notice what the psalmist said. And every place you see uh, he, it's God. And notice how personal this is. I'll emphasize it. He has weakened my strength in the way. He has shortened my days. I say, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Wow, that's very personal. He looks and says, God, you've allowed it. We need to acknowledge that. Verse 25, of old thou didst found the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Even they will perish. Notice, even the things that look indestructible to us at times, they will perish. But thou dost endure. We have to look at it from God's perspective. All of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. Thou will change them, and they will be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years will excuse me, not come to an end. The children of thy servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. Notice, the world comes and goes. All things that were created come and go, except for God's people. They continue on. In fact, it's very interesting that the writer of the book of Hebrews quotes this passage in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10. And he is applying it there directly to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
See, even the Old Testament looks like, well, it's God the Father that did all those things, established the earth and made it and all that. But he quotes it in direct context in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10. It says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning didst lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They will perish, but thou remainest. And they will become old as a garment, and as a mantle thou will roll them up. As a garment they will be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. When we put life in perspective, when we put 2011 in perspective, here's what we need to do. God's in control. God is the one that sees exactly what's going on. He knows that those things that he created are going downhill. That's the sin effect. They're just going downhill. But he is exactly the same as where he started. Am I trusting the things that go downhill? That's my health. That's my job. That's my, you name it, whatever you want to put in there. Put that in there, and it's going to go downhill sooner or later. We all die. hate to tell you that, but we do. But he is the same. God, God the Father, yes. God the Son, the one who died for us, he is the same. We need to have a proper perspective. He's in control. Does he allow these things? Mm -hmm. Has he the one that put the curse on this earth because we sinned? Absolutely. Do we see the results of it in our lives? Yes, we do. Do we see it in world government in Jerusalem? The answer is yes, we do. Do we see it in the world itself? Yeah, it's going to wear out like a garment. It's going to be rolled up. It's going to be thrown away. It's going to be changed. All of those things are true. But what is also true is he has never changed. He is the one that I keep my eyes on. Not easy. It's an act of faith. I must keep my eyes on him. Let's all stand together as we just ask the Lord to guide us through this year ahead. Father, we do thank you that you remain the same, that we can trust you. In the midst of the problems, we can keep our perspective. Our perspective is on you, what you have done. But not only what you've done, but Father, who you are, and who you remain to be. Lord, help us by faith to keep our eyes focused on you, to keep a proper perspective that you are ultimately the one that brings all things to fruition. You bring everything back into accordance with your will. You are the one who brings justice and peace, not only to the world, but to our own personal lives. Lord, thank you that we have that promise for the year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Go with God.